Okay, good morning. It's a blessing to share the word of the Lord with all of you. And, uh, it's just a privilege to be here in California. And uh, with my friend, Pastor Irwin and, and Vincent and uh, anybody, if you're on the fence, uh, we've needed help for years in the Philippines. We've got so many eager men wanting to be trained. And the only thing that's prevented us is having the manpower. We've actually had to tell groups uh, no or sorry, not now. We can't come and train you yet. As soon as we get our team in place, we got Vincent and uh, two other men that are raising support to join us. Um, we're going to really take off and even move from a Bible college level more into a kind of a seminary level. So we're excited to do that. Well, for the last eight years, I've been living in the Philippines, but God did a lot of work in me over the years to get me there. Uh, I didn't, some people, maybe, you know, I grew up in the church, but some people will hear a missionary when they're young and go, oh, that's what God wired me for, that's what I want to do. Well, that wasn't my case. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, uh, not too far from here, I suppose. I was actually born there. I went to uh, DeVry University, got a degree in uh, electronics. And I got hired right out of school, worked at Hughes Aircraft, which is now Boeing. I worked there for about 10 years. Had a pretty decent job. My wife and I, at that time, had two kids. My best friends that I grew up with lived about 15, 20 minutes away from me. My family was, we'd see them at least once or twice a month, living very close. Had a nice church. We had no intention, no thought of going any other direction. Well, God had different plans. Something changed. Something caused us to desire to leave everything that we were comfortable with, everything we loved, all of our um, favorite foods. And I, I'm missing the, the Mexican food. That's my favorite. And uh, you don't find too much of that in the Philippines. And, but God worked in us that we were excited to leave and go somewhere Different. Now, my wife was born there, but she left when she was about six or seven. God had changed both of our hearts. As a matter of fact, we went there on a short-term trip. When I told my wife initially that I wanted to go to the Philippines as a missionary, very calmly she said, Oh, if that's what the Lord puts on your heart, wherever you go, I'll follow. And we went on a short-term trip. And I learned later that in her thinking the whole time is... You know, what are you talking about? You got, we got a good job. We got house insurance. We got medical insurance. We got uh, car insurance. We got insurance, insurance. And we're all safe. Everything's covered. You know, why would we leave all of that? So she thought, oh, this trip will be good. He'll see how hot it is in the Philippines and the humidity. He'll see the poverty. She'll, you know, we stayed at her family's house and they live in a, in a poor area. And she thought, oh, God will change his mind. Or at least that will change his mind. What God did is changed her mind. As she saw all the needs, she grew up Catholic, and she came to Christ. And as she started connecting with girls, and then a few gals came to Christ that she was sharing with them, it just the light bulb went on. And God had suited and wired and made both of us for this. What am I thinking? And so God changed both of us. Well, for me, that change really began to accelerate when I started to be faithful to God's leading. When God put it on my heart, He was very kind. He just asked me just little things. You know, He didn't speak to me, but I, I sensed His Spirit directing me towards going to college, finishing my bachelor's degree. And um, so I was working at Hughes Aircraft, and 
heard, oh, Master's College has a night program, you know, or I can finish it there. I want to be more skilled to serve in my church. That was all I was thinking. Okay, Lord, I'll do that. I went to the Master's College, and then I had a teacher, Dr. Mark Tatlock, who wasn't doctor then, but uh, a class on missions. And he started sharing how most of the world's wealth, big percentages here in this country with this small percentage of the world's population. And as I'm driving past all these churches, when I go through the valley and I could count the Bible bookstores and the radio programs, I just, wow, we've got all the resources here and most of the world doesn't enjoy these things or hasn't even heard the gospel in some places or the churches are so weak, yet we have a plethora of all this stuff here. Why would I want to stay here? You know, the Lord's wired me I've, for this. I've married a Filipina. So we were excited to go and leave our comfort zone. God rocked my world with that class and changed our direction. And he graciously kept moving us forward. So I, I went to the college. Okay, I can do that. And then that class, I just felt God's calling towards missions. And then God put it on my heart and through some counsel some people, you should go to seminary first. I would have never gone to seminary before and left my job to do that. But because of small steps at a time, just saying, okay, I'll do that. When I did that, he kind of broadened me a little bit. Okay, I'll do this. Then when it came time to say, when God is putting in my heart, you need to quit your job. If you want to go to seminary, you've got to quit your job. Well, we've got a house in the valley making payments on it. We've got two cars. Our kids are in private Christian school. I go mountain biking every weekend up in the Angeles Crest. And how can I afford that? And so we prayed about it. And my wife goes, Let's, let's do it. Let's just go for it and get it done. I don't want you to be in college in the next 10 years. Let's just knock it out. And she goes, the Lord's blessed me with a good job. Let's just, let's just uh, you quit, finish school for the next few years. So I did that. I quit, changed our lifestyle. We um, sold our cars, sold my mountain bike. I was in a band, as you mentioned. I quit my band, sold my music gear. And then we went to the school and said, uh, yeah, we love you guys. We love this school, but we have to take our kids out. So then we just started seeing God confirming as he was changing us. And as we were responding to it, we saw him confirming we were going the right way. So the school said, we love your kids. We love you guys. Um, we'll call you back. We're like, what do you mean you'll call us back? We're just telling you we're, we're leaving. So they call us back the next day and say, you know, what? we're going to scholarship both your kids. And, uh, and you can leave them here after school. If you're studying at the Master's Seminary, you can pick them up after school. And we were just blown away. Another missionary says, hey, um, we're going back to the field. Do you want our van? So we have a van. My dad says he's had an auto shop. He goes, hey, some kids drove across the state in a, a what is it, a, a Jetta. I forget who makes the Jetta, but uh, VW, I think. They, they blew the motor, and they gave it to me. I fixed it. Do you want it? Also, we have two cars. The kids are still in school, and my wife gets a raise. And we just say, okay, Lord, we, we think uh, you're saying yes, we're... We're going the right direction. Again, that took a long process. And when God changes us, some changes are instantaneous, but some come over the rest of your life. So prior to all this, where I'm at now, I was a very different person, as, as Mike mentioned, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit, but my dream used to be I wanted to be a rock star. And so I was the band. We played all the clubs in Hollywood for five years. We had a great time doing that. But now looking back, I was seeking glory for myself, not for the Lord. And I'm glad that the Lord said, no, I've got a different path for you. Well, Scripture is clear 
that all believers will be changed over the courses of their lives. It's not just the most holy, the special few. All of us will be changed. And the Apostle Paul serves as a great example of this. He was a very different person before he became the man he became. You know, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Was such a, he's, he's one of my heroes in Scripture. And, and I'll, I'll share some of the context and remind you of some of his past. He was committed to destroying the church. He believed that Jesus was a liar, that he was a false teacher, a false messiah, and the dead founder of a, a radical movement uh, where he was encouraging people to blaspheme the God of Israel. That was the thinking of Paul. His hatred for Jesus and his followers was so intense that he was not content to simply remove them from Jerusalem. He wasn't content after watching Stephen be killed and removing from his city. He got permission to go to other cities and arrest and drag back Christians to imprison and try as well for blasphemy. He traveled by foot many miles to do this. Scripture described him as a persecutor of the innocent, as a violent man. Both of those are from 1 Timothy 1.12. Also it describes him as a blasphemer. Romans 7, 7 and 8 talk about him being covetous. This is the old Paul. He was probably a murderer or at least an accessory to it. And regarding his relationship to God, he was trying to earn God's favor by what he did through his good works. Listen to Paul's own testimony about himself as he describes how he used to be in Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 7. I'm going to read that to you. Paul said, I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priest, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues. I tried to force them to blaspheme and being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. If we would have been alive around that time, Paul would have been chasing after people like us. He was focused on destroying Christians. However, he was changed. He was changed radically. And that started when he met Jesus Christ while he was on his way to arrest Christians. And as a result of that meeting, he didn't just ease up or calm down a little bit. He was transformed he went from being one of the church's greatest enemies to one of its greatest soldiers. The God that he was fighting against and the church that he was trying to destroy became his God and his church. Paul went from being a persecutor of the church to a prisoner for the church. And scripture revealed that immediately after God had saved Paul, he began to preach the gospel. He also went on to take up collections for the poor and suffering Christians. He healed the sick and he continued preaching the gospel in many places, including Jerusalem, Greece, Macedonia, Rome, in synagogues and in various homes. When just prior to that, he's killing and arresting Christians. Now he's preaching the message of Jesus Christ. Paul trained up leaders as he took men with him on mission trips to share the gospel and as he was going to plant churches and equip the saints, and he was even in prison for Christ multiple times, he was beaten, he was persecuted, shipwrecked, he was even willing to die for the one he was trying to destroy. 
when some of his friends tearfully tried to prevent him from going to what looked like uh, imprisonment and even possible death. Listen to what Paul said, the new Paul. In Acts 21, verse 13, he says, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul joyfully gave himself for Christ and the church because he had been transformed into a new man. And today, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, we will see that Paul was changed in three ways. Three ways that all true followers of Jesus Christ will be changed. You see, being saved should change our reason for living. It should also change our worldview. And thirdly, being saved should change our very nature. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians 5, 15 through 17. And listen as I read along, and we can see how the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ worked in Paul's life. He wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 15 through 17, Jesus died for all, so that we who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore... From now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature. The old, the old things have passed away and behold, new things have come. All right, so if you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, you can expect, be looking for changes in your life. And from verse 15, we'll see that one of them is being saved means that our reason for living will change. Following Jesus Christ will change how you invest your life. Now, I admit, and I want to emphasize this, that change and the timing and how much is going to be different for everyone. Some people get saved and all of a sudden they're just on the street like Paul preaching and they're, you know, to who he has been forgiven much or loved much, or I guess it's the other way, forgiven much, loved much. Uh, I think I'm, that's why I should always stick with my notes, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I guess if you're forgiven much, you'll love much or love much, forgiven one. Either way, both is true. God does a radical change. I had a friend of mine who was, uh, who was a biker. And uh, he was planning on killing his landlord. His marriage was ending. Uh, he had a house that he was fixing up, and the landlord made a deal with him that if he's put a lot of money and fix the house up, then we can do a rent-own type of deal. He changed his mind, and my friend just says, my marriage is ending. This guy cheated me all this money. I'm going to kill him and maybe take out a few cops before they take me out. That was his plan, and uh, his wife came home, and uh, she knew they were having problems. She says, look, Let's just uh, talk to this one pastor. I heard he's a real nice guy. Let's just one last chance. Let's try this one last thing. And they went. And the, this pastor just clearly, passionately shared the gospel with this guy. 
coupled with just loving on him, and it just gripped his heart and changed him. And this guy is just, you know, from the big biker guy, kind of drug abuser and all, list of sins, was just a transformed man. And when I see him now, he gives me this big bear hug. People would see him on the street and be afraid. You don't know, he's a big teddy bear. And he's a plumber, and so everyone he talks to, he's sharing about Jesus. He's just transformed. And there's people like that. And there's other people who are saved, and the transformation's more gradual over their lifetime. As, they, as they're growing in the Word, um, they begin to give more things up. They begin to put off certain sins and put on new practices and change. So it's different for everyone, but what I'm saying is if you are a follower of Christ, you will change. I thought about putting in my notes, uh, you should change. But I believe you will change. It's radical transformation, a new nature. Now, our patterns may catch up to that, but we will change. And as Paul was sharing about the changes that happened in his life, he became, when he became a believer in Jesus Christ, he res- first he responded to some critics who mistook the changes that happened in his life, or among many things, they, they thought he was insane. They re- literally thought, this, this guy's lost it. They thought Paul... Um, like uh, Governor Festus said in Acts 26, 24, that his teaching, he says, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning has driven you mad. It's not a, it shouldn't be a surprise, at least, that the world might look at us this way. They might mistake our transformation as, as insanity. They might persecute us for it. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You might have family or friends, co-workers who see the change and they think, wow, you become one of those fanatics, one of those nuts. Well, I'm proud to say I am a Jesus freak. And, and I think Paul was as well. He responded to his critics who thought he was... Insane, by basically telling them in 2 Corinthians 13 and 14 that the only thing they could call him crazy for was his obsession for knowing God and making him known. He even said that his supposed insanity controls him or compels him. The love of God was causing him to make him known. So what was it that so radically changed Paul? What was it that caused him to leave his career his home, his family, his reputation behind. See, sometimes when we read about Paul, unless you really think about the background, it almost seems like it was so easy and he left nothing, but I think he left much. Why was he so consumed with making God known that the world would uh, confuse his zeal for insanity? Well, I think we see that in verse 15 where he wrote... 2 Corinthians 5.15 Jesus died for all that they who live might not or will no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And in this verse we see the reason why he was changed. It was his realization that the Father loves us so much that he was willing maybe, maybe we can even say joyfully gave his Son to die in our place, to pay the penalty of our sins. Paul realized that. And the gravity of that blew him away and changed his life. He explained that. He said, Christ died for all. Can you imagine? God's Son in the flesh died for us. 
In other words, Jesus' life is the one and only sacrifice provided by God to save mankind, and all who believe will be saved. It was faith in that truth that caused Paul to change. And as a result, he wrote in verse 15 that those who live, those who believe, those who truly love and follow Jesus, change. Their purpose for living changes. Salvation causes people to no longer live for themselves. Their lives are no longer just spent on the sole pursuit of self. They no longer focus on their advancement, their success, their fame, their interests. I guess we could say our advancement, our success, our fame, our interests. Let's change. Where before you knew Christ, if perhaps you uh, came to Christ when you were older, you'd see that more obviously. Maybe before, uh, you know, my, my goals were to make money, have a good job, a nice house. Now, okay, I still want to have a good job, money, and a nice house, but now I want to use them to glorify God. Now I want to use them to bless my neighbors and my family and my community and my church. You change. Instead, Paul said, speaking of believers, they live for Him now who died and rose again on their behalf. So believing that Jesus sacrificed Himself to save us should motivate us to spend our lives serving, and I want to highlight this, enjoying Him. I think those two things come together almost synonymously. It should cause us to invest our lives in things that are important to God and His people. I remember moving to the Philippines when we were looking for a house. Very different than when I used to look for houses. I'd look for a house and, okay, it's a nice big backyard to barbecue. And where am I going to put the pool table, the fish tank, and the garage? Has it got enough room for my music equipment? Now I look at a house, okay, is there big enough room? Will this be good enough for Bible study? Okay, now if we have the men and women break off into different groups, are there rooms for that? Do I have rooms for visiting teams that come through? I look at things different. Now, it might be different for me than from you, but if you're saved, you'll look at even the little things different. Paul understood what God had done for him and that his life was no longer his own. He said in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you have been bought with a price, and therefore glorify God in your body. I could probably add to that. Glorify God in your body and with all the things that, that he has given you. Paul recognized he's not his own anymore. But it's sad that many profession Christians don't live in light of this truth. A lot of people are content to spend their lives amassing gadgets and collectibles. Some are consumed with sports and hobbies and other activities while making little or no effort to live for God and others. I'm not knocking gadgets and sports and hobbies. I've got my gadgets. I'm a gadget freak. But we want to have and enjoy those things that the Lord blesses us with, but not be consumed by them. And we want to use them for His glory. Many others enjoy the privilege of having great Bible teaching and resources and yet go unchanged by it and live for themselves. It's sad to see Christians who have been going to great churches like this for many years have 
a library full of Bibles and good books and sermons. They take all of that in, yet they're not serving in the church. They're not sharing the gospel with their neighbors or their co-workers or their family. They're like sponges. They take it all in, but don't use it for God's glory. I'm training pastors that are so excited and we give them a Bible or a few books. They're blown away and they're excited and they're sharing those resources that are hard to come by. What's funny is we're, we're encouraging these pastors when you study a, a passage to preach it, you want to compare it in five translations. You know, you know, compare the text and make sure that you're not missing anything in the translations when the different authors are having a, you know, maybe a different synonym. And sometimes I feel inside, oh, I know some of these guys only have one Bible. And I'm telling them, you look at it in five different translations for checking. And we're so blessed with so many resources. And even resources now that are much easier to get in the Philippines because you can get them online. You have to have a computer for that. And even if you have to, I have some pastors that I'm working with that even have been blessed with a computer. But then you have to have a credit card to be able to download the books. So we're so blessed with all these resources, but don't just take them in. If you have been changed, then you've got to use those for God's glory. and Make Him known like Paul did. Don't feast on God's Word and then go on with your lives unchanged, living for yourself and being unwilling to disciple and mentor others. The natural change that we should expect to occur in our lives when we believe in Christ it is a desire to live for Him no matter what or where He might ask us to do or take us. However, the change in our lives does not stop there. Being saved also changes our world view. And when we become followers of Jesus, He transforms the way we evaluate the world and life. One term they use in the Philippines is for a guy who uh, likes the ladies is, a, is a, what do they call it? a womanizer. So I tell guys, you know, if you used to be a womanizer before you came to Christ, you should be different now. Doesn't mean you don't like women anymore, but something happens where you start admiring a pretty gal walking by and you're now it's like, wait, I've got a wife. That would dishonor the Lord and my wife. Does it, you know, okay, you still observe that, but something is talking to the heart now that didn't happen before. A, con- a new nature and a conscience has been awakened, and this worldview is changing the way, he, the way we would look at and evaluate life. That would affect politics. Uh, you know, abortion is illegal in the Philippines, and I'm sad when I tell talk about America, you know, and oh yeah, a lot of people in America are fine with that. I've got family that are Christian and say, well, you know, I wouldn't do it myself. It's wrong, but I wouldn't tell anybody else what to do. And they're kind of shocked by that. But shouldn't be that transformation also include the way we think and evaluate all of life? Well, verse 16, we can see that Paul, when he was saved, his worldview was radically altered. He said in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh. Since Paul believed that Jesus is the Savior, the way he viewed everything changed, including the way he saw people. He said that he no longer recognized people according to the flesh. Well, we learn two things from this statement. 
First, that those who have untransformed minds, that would be unsaved, they evaluate people according to external human and worldly standards. Second thing we learn from that is that the minds and judgments of God's people are changed as they believe and understand the word of God. And Paul realized that before he was saved, his thinking about who Jesus is was totally wrong. He wrote that even though we have known Christ according to the flesh with worldly thinking, worldly judgments and valuations, he said, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, now we don't see him that way any longer. And like Paul, many people have a wrong understanding of who Jesus is, And what he did. And this is the result of viewing Jesus and others according to worldly, human, fleshly standards. Which means coming to a knowledge about them using human reasoning and human desires or worldly desires. It's an attempt to evaluate things with a fallen, sin-cursed mind. We can see an example of this when the scribes refuse to believe that Jesus is the Savior even though he did many, many miracles right before their eyes. Right, they could see him. They saw him raise the dead, heal the sick. They saw so many things like that. But they reasoned that he must have been able to do them because as Mark 3.22 records, oh, well, okay, yeah, he did a miracle. Can't deny that. But you know what? It was by the power of Beelzebub. He cast out demons by the ruler of demons. That's, that's what it is. Rather than dropping to their knees and worshiping God, they use their human reasoning to evaluate their Messiah who was standing before their own eyes and they didn't recognize Him. So refusing to believe that the Father sent Jesus, some of these Pharisees even accused Him of being illegitimately born. As He's telling Him, the Father had sent me, I came to do the Father's will, they, they responded in John chapter 8, verse 41, Uh, Well, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. They're implying, oh, that he was born from an adulterous or fornication type of relationship. So many people, like these Pharisees, see Jesus incorrectly using human reasoning to evaluate him. Mormons say that Jesus is the spirit brother of Satan. The Jehovah Witnesses say he's the archangel Michael. Many Jews and people today see him as a great teacher, but not the Messiah or God. Some atheists may grant that he existed, but only see him as a historical person. And sadly, some see Jesus as a son of God. They recognize that, but they don't see him as worthy of living for. They might say that. Oh, yes, he's God, and I go to church, and yeah, we've got to follow him. But their lives say something different than the testimony of their lips. As we saw earlier, the old Paul saw Jesus as a false messiah, as a liar and a blasphemer, but the new transformed Paul said, we don't see him like this anymore. The new Paul no longer looked at others or Jesus from this sinful human perspective. And once he realized who Jesus really is and what he really did to save sinners, Paul changed. He was ready and willing to lay down his life for Jesus and the church. And he dedicated his life to living for Christ and proclaiming him to all people. And like Paul, all people who are saved will be transformed. I hope by now, I'm repeating this enough, you're getting what I'm trying to emphasize. 
we want to look at our own lives. We need to be changed by the gospel. I would have never gone to be a missionary if, if God hadn't changed me. If God would have asked me or put it on my heart when I was like 20 years old to move from this country and go to the Philippines, I probably would have done a Jonah and took the boat and gone the farthest, like, opposite direction, as far as away, farthest place I could find from the Philippines. However, in this last verse, verse 17, Paul taught that our transformation goes beyond our reason for living and it goes beyond our worldview. It also includes renovating who we are to the very core of our beings. Being saved changes our nature. Even our instincts, our feelings, our desires, you could call it our inner person, is made alive spiritually to God and we are transformed. And Paul said it this way in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Paul concluded that everyone who is in Christ is not the same anymore. That is, everyone who is in union with him that's another meaning of being in Christ. Everyone who has been accepted as God's own. Everyone who has been granted eternal life and an inheritance in heaven. Everyone who enjoys the privilege of knowing God's heart. They have been and are being made new. Paul says it this way. They are new creatures or new creations of God. The very desires of our hearts are changed and oriented towards God's ways and God's will. And since we are made new, the old things pass away. Our value systems, our priorities, our beliefs, our loves, our plans are gone. Evil and sin are still present, but we see them in a new perspective. They no longer control us. As I said... I wanted to, my hope was to make it big in, in music. I just got together with uh, my old bandmates. We're lifelong friends, 20 plus years now. Um, kids now, we've all grown, added a few pounds since then. Now I look back and I see my priorities are different. My plans are different. My values are different. It's even strange. I, I almost felt embarrassed. I don't know if it's because I'm continuing to be changed or because I bought, brought Pastor Irwin with me, but I stayed with my friends and we had some dinner. And I go, wow. I told Pastor Irwin, they, they sure cuss a lot. I don't know if I didn't notice that before or uh, I'm just changing. or I don't know. But uh, I'll be honest. Uh, you know, I was in the Army and... Uh, I had quite a mouth on me, and I worked at Hughes. I had quite a mouth on me, and uh, I'm a different person. The, the jokes. I'm, I'm embarrassed at some of the jokes that I understand. My wife would go, I don't get it. And I go, um, yeah, I do. I wish I didn't. But that's got to change. See, before our minds were in bondage to sin, we were, it's also described as being in slavery to sin. We were slaves. We were unable to please God because without faith it's, it's impossible to please God. Before, we were unable to have victory over sin. Before, we often enjoyed and approved of sinful behavior. 
We enjoyed friendships with people who practice sinful lifestyles. We were justly found guilty and we were condemned for our sins. But now, those things have passed and are continuing to pass away. Now, for those who are in Christ, new things have permanently come. New things are permanently replacing those old things. Now the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Where we did things before, we felt nothing. Maybe even joy. Maybe even proud. Now we feel conviction. Even if we still may struggle and stumble in those sins, but now there's conviction. Now there's us trying to get out of that pit and asking God to rescue us from those sins. And we see the joy of Him rescuing us from one sin. And now you start thinking, oh, I'm pretty good. I got rid of that one. And then all of a sudden He, oh, by the way, now let me direct you to another one. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Then He starts working on that one. And you begin to change there and become more and more like Him. Now we have godly sorrow over sin that leads to repentance. We have a growing hunger for God's Word. I've been counseling a a dear brother in the Philippines who struggled with uh, sin of a sexual nature. He's a new believer. And it's been very difficult for him to put those old things off. And he's, he, he's afraid to death. Maybe I'm not really a believer because I still sin sometimes doing these things. I said, you know what? The fact that you're worried about this and you want to change and you hate it shows me that that's, that's evidence that God is convicting your heart. Hang in there. He's going to help you change. He's going to continue that work that he started in you. Now we have a growing hunger, not only for his word, but a desire to worship him, to serve him, to glorify him. I love what John Piper said. I think it's in his devotional, Pierced by the Word. But he talks about glorifying God, um, even in the little things. Like He says, you know, you can glorify God by drinking orange juice. I'm like, how do you do that? Come on now. Lord, thank you that you provided something for me to drink. I'm sitting at a table in a, in a house with controlled temperature. I've got food. I've got clothing. You're so kind. That's glorifying God, even in little things. In addition to that, now we are declared righteous and forgiven for all of our sins. And I love this psalm. It's very encouraging. 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far... He has removed our transgressions from us. What a beautiful picture from the Psalms that He has removed our sins infinitely far from us. No matter what our past was, God forgives us and makes us new. Some of these modern psychologists and unfortunately Christians who mingle that they say oh your your past sins are going to drag you down you have to learn what they are and uh, renounce them so that you can go on with life and i just say look scripture is clear we're new creatures my past isn't going to hold me down i'm new god has removed that as far as the east is from the west i'm just going to go and serve him and glorify him i'm going to be like the woman caught in adultery i'm just going to sin no more god is in the business of changing people like the apostle paul People like you. People like me. God is in the people changing business. And he makes us into beautiful new creations. And through Paul's life, we have seen that everyone who has been saved changes. We change our our reason for living. The goals that we make, the jobs we take, all that. We change our reason for living. Our worldview 
changes and our nature changes. Changing my reason for living and my worldview enabled me to serve God among the poor and the sick and the needy in the Philippines. I never pictured myself sitting underneath a bridge with about a hundred poor people doing Bible studies when you could smell the urine, flies landing on you, you're swatting them while you're trying to teach the Bible, trash all over the place. Didn't even... Felt like home. Glad to be with these dear people. Put my arm around them. Teach the word. Pull out a guitar. I used to bring a chess set and play chess with them. God changed me. It keeps thinking. Keeps my thinking in regard to training pastors and, and preaching the word and ministers straight. I'm teaching men how to preach the word. I believe God's way, rather than following all the fads and the trends. Because I have a biblical worldview, I can recognize, I can discern. No, that's, that's not what Scripture says. That's, that may work. It might be pragmatic. But God says do it this way. God changes us when we're in His Word. He changes everything. Taking risks for God and getting out of our comfort zones is much easier to do when the Word of God is transforming us. And like Paul, if you believe and receive the love of Christ, you will be compelled to know Him more and to make Him known. It will impact things like your choices you make on a daily basis. If you're a student, the classes you take. It will impact the way you think about the person that you would date or marry. Um, the words you use in conversations. It will impact the jobs you take. Um, it will impact the things that you might have complained about. Now you'll stop so as not to offend someone. The friends you make, the church you go to, the ministries you do or don't do. And I hope it has already impacted your plans for the future. This is why I wanted to share this passage with you, because I want to encourage you to intentionally pursue radical change in your life. If you've been saved, you can't be content with stopping there. If you've been saved, you've got to examine yourself. Am I still thinking the way I used to? Am I behaving the way I used to? Am I planning for the way I used to? I remember hearing a pastor saying, um, he's trying to justify some of the gadgets he was getting. And again, I'm not knocking gadgets. I have my share. But he got a jet ski. Oh, that's so I could evangelize. Never seemed to work out like that. But, you know, my home church in the valley, they're... Uh, talking about remodeling, doing a facelift to the church. It's, it's a church that looks about like this. When it's maybe the 50s, I'm guessing, when this church is built. And they wanted to make it look more contemporary. And so I was talking to some guys, just challenging them about thinking about bigger picture in God's kingdom. I said, you know, what, how about instead of doing um, fundraising the church to remodel and facelift the whole church, how about you do that, but then in the end you say, you know what, instead... Let's take, we, we worked for the last six months or a year and we raised up this money. Instead, let's use that to build some churches for people in the Philippines or in India or, or reach our community here. This building, yeah, okay, it's old, but it's nice. It meets our needs. People in the Philippines and other countries wish they had churches like this. We were training men in this, their church, their worship center. You take three American garages, stack them in a row. That was their worship center. These pastors came out for the training. They traveled... 10 to 12 hours, some of them, by boat, um, bus, motorcycle, by foot. And then they get that far. They get in this little church. They pull out little mats. They sleep there in the morning or through the night till the morning. 
I don't know how these 30, 40 guys are sharing the couple showers that they have there, but they do it. They eat their breakfast there. And they are so grateful to have that facility. But I pray that uh, you're encouraged to think about how God wants to use you and change you to live this life radically for his kingdom. We'll get our toys in heaven. Let's think about sacrificing ourselves and our resources. Really, they're, they're God's. At least going to him first. Lord, I have these. You've given these to me. I'm the steward of these. I'm, I'm the steward. Of, I'm not even my own. I'm the steward of this body you've given me. Help me to live in light of who you've made me and use it all for your glory. Take what you will, whether it's me or my resources, whatever. It's yours, Lord. Guide me. And he'll do it. And I hope you will be excited to do that. I'll just one last thing in closing. Pastor Irwin, who came out with me, it's difficult for Filipinos to get visas. They only let, they've got a quota. I don't know if it's a thousand a year or what, but uh, so they let him through and we were so excited. Last year they said no. I've had so many pastors come out and they said no. They turned, as soon as they hear they're a pastor, oh, they give you your slip of paper that is a rejection notice. Well, I posted on Facebook and just praise the Lord. Pastor Irwin got his visa to come out. Um, now we just trust the Lord to provide everything else to get there. And I had within two days, we already had all the money for his trip. One guy called me and said, yeah, I prayed about it. And the Lord just put it in my heart. I want to give you $2,000 for your guys' trip. And he, this is what I love what he said. He goes, I can't wait till tomorrow morning. I can't wait to go to the bank to get that money to send it to you. Not just, you know, okay, the Lord... Put this on my heart, I'm going to do it. I can't wait. I'm excited to do this for the Lord. He's a changed man. This is the same man I told you that struggled with sexual sin in the past. He's just a generous, godly man. And the Lord has radically changed him. And I pray that he will continue to change all of us like that. And Lord, help us to see the opportunities that you give us to be like you. Help us to recognize where we fall short Continue to conform us to your image. Continue to transform our words, our minds, our hearts, our reason for living. And I pray that we would bring much joy and glory to you, and that would be our greatest joy. I ask all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.